This is a question we hear all the time. How do I identify potential donors? I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the fundraising school, and I'm joined by two of my colleagues, Kathy Brown, who is a leader at the Broward County Community Foundation in Florida, and LaCoya Gardner, who leads the Mays Family Institute on Diverse Philanthropy within the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. And we're so fortunate that Kathy and LaCoya both serve on the faculty of the fundraising school. They have co-authored chapter 14 in Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the new fifth edition that came out in 2022, Identifying and Qualifying Prospective Donors. And Kathy, the chapter starts with this wonderful image, this wonderful picture to help us get an illustration of what we're doing when we're looking for potential donors. It does, Bill, thanks. And it's, it's great to be with, uh, with all of you today. Um, it's, it's interesting as we think about this um, from the, the nonprofit perspective of who our potential donors really are. We, we often will hone in on that um, as we're talking about major gift work, but as we, as we sort of broaden this idea, I, we, LaCoya and I likened it to attending a venue, um, you know, perhaps since I'm down in South Florida, we'll say a Miami Heat game. Um, and um, so where people, you know, the people that are in this space would represent the potential donors that we would have. Um, the organization would be the, the, the field, the, the, uh, the court, so to speak, um, and with the players in the center. Um, and we can kind of think about who our donors are by looking at some of the cues that they give us. Um, in this case, where they're sitting, uh, maybe what they're wearing, those are all indicators of their depth of connection. You know, we've got those folks in the front row who have invested in those seats who are likely wearing their gear. We have those in the mid-level who maybe have brought the family along. Um, so maybe not quite as deeply invested, but still excited to be there. We've got folks in the top seats who maybe this is their first game, or maybe they care a lot about a cause, uh, but maybe not so invested. I, I use the, the example of my husband who has a diehard Chicago Bulls fan. Um, he would attend a heat game. He's a basketball fan, but he's probably not going to be the guy at the front row. So there are indicators it, that the donors can give us by how they're connected to our organizations already that help us start to plan and organize our strategies to engage them. So LaCoya, with this wonderful illustration, we're at the basketball game and some people are sitting closer, some people are sitting farther, some people are season ticket holders, they come to all the games. Somebody came, they received the ticket as a gift and wouldn't even pay to go to a game. And there's all of these other folks in between. And you and Kathy do such a good job of using that illustration to help us think about identifying and qualifying prospective donors. And then kind of the technical way to do that is through linkage, ability, and interest. What do we mean by that? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. And Kathy, thank you for describing uh, that very great illustration. So when we think about the, the linkage, the ability, and then also the interest, making sure that as we're building those relationships um, with donors and just at least trying to figure out if we can qualify them, we want to see if there's some sort of linkage. Is there a linkage to our mission? Is there a linkage to our nonprofit organization? 
And once we figure out what those linkage are, um, perhaps they could be a former board member or perhaps they may be interested in volunteering. Once we figure out what those linkage is, then we can transition to those specific, their ability as well. And then knowing what their ability indicators are, um, that gives us an opportunity to engage them a lot more as well. And then being able to figure out what is their interest specifically with our organization? What is their their linkage to our mission? How can they better um, help serve and engage our, our, our organization as a whole so that we know what their values are and then we can then transition their values to our mission as well? And linkage refers to who in our nonprofit knows this particular person. Ability, you know, we do that by speaking with the donor. There are some formal ways to do that through donor databases to do some wealth screening. We also look at their previous charitable giving, all of these different types of ways for ability. And then, Kathy, I know with interest, there's this whole wheel of roles and responsibilities as we learn more about the person that might help us understand why they may be interested in our nonprofit organization. What is this wheel all about? <laughs> The wheel is another graphic that just helps us think about all of the influences and all of the possible connectors that we might have to a donor or a family. Um, and in the in the chapter we talk, we give some specific examples, but we're looking at things like um, their education levels, their family situation, um, their profession, their religious connections, uh, their health and recreation um, habits and, and activities. Those sorts of things all influence how uh, where a donor is in their in their giving strategy, in their um, in their connection, in their their interest in um, a certain organization um, and can give us good indicators of how how a donor might choose to make a decision. Uh, you know, if you've got a family of, uh, with young children, uh, education might be a higher priority list. It's not the only indicator, but it's something that gives us a cue that we can start to pay attention to. You know, if you've got a retired family, then, you know, there may have other interest areas. Um, travel might be more, uh, more influential. Um, so looking at perhaps international um, causes might be more an interest level. Uh, so it, these are, they're, the wheel of roles and responsibilities helps us really identify more deeply who our donors are, what their influences are, and what those connections might be to, to understand better if they are the right folks to uh, connect with for a particular cause or, uh, or project. It reminds me of the board game Clue, and we wind up with Mr. Plum in the living room, right, with the broom or some such thing to, to solve the puzzle. And LaCoya, regardless of the size of the organization I'm with, it could be a community-based, smaller, grassroots nonprofit organization, or a large philanthropic organization like Indiana University, for example, we still have to prioritize all these folks. And I know the founder of the fundraising school, Henry Rosso, gave us the constituency circles to try to help us prioritize how we're going to spend our time. Can you help our audience understand this tool that Hank Rosso created back in the day and is still very useful for contemporary fundraising? Sure, absolutely. Um, so again, as you as you stated, I, this was actually created by Henry Rosso, uh, who was the founder of the fundraising school. And this uh, constituency model is very similar to Kathy's example of going to a basketball game and where you are actually seated at. So there's there is this huge circle, and within this circle, there are specific areas. Whether that is going to be broken down within management, whether it's broken down surrounding a board, or whether it's broken down 
found by major donors. Um, and surrounding that actual circle, there are, are smaller portions in there that may include volunteers, it may include employees, um, there may be specifics to just general donors, members, and um, clients. It could be former board members. So this circle really makes um, specific donors that can fit in here, uh, whether it's going to be expanding your actual circle um, and being able to involve new, new individuals. There's new names uh, that you can include within this donor database, but really taking a look at this circle to figure out who may fit in these specific areas. Um, specifically, there could also be annual gift, annual fund um, opportunities as well, where you can include specific donors in this area who may be able to upgrade their gift to a major gift uh, donor in the, in the, the very near future. Um, so being able to take a look at that uh, specific constituency model to see where they specifically fit in there and how we can also engage them and include the linkage ability and interest. Kathy, we're gaining a lot of information about people. And of course, in this internet age, there are all these privacy concerns. What ethical considerations come into play when we're doing this type of research into prospective donors? Well, it, it, that's a great question and certainly something that we're, we're hearing and learning more and more about. Um, but the, the importance of really, first of all, valuing and managing the information that you gain um, to continue to build uh, the trust with the, the donors is a key piece of that ethical process. Um, strong organizations have ethical um, policies on how data is managed, who has access to it, um, you know, what, what sort of information we gather. Uh, and it should always be um, influential as to how a donor is going to make a giving decision. We're not, you know, we're not stalking Facebook, looking for the, the, the secret backdoor information. We're looking for information that helps, you know, helps us understand donor giving decisions and the management of that information, um, the storage of that information. Uh, it, those are key key pieces that, that are um, typically and professionally built into the policies and procedures of an organization so that that information is handled accurately and handled with respect. What information is appropriate to gather and who appropriately should be seeing that information within our organization? McCoy, at the outset, I mentioned your wonderful leadership role with the Mays Family Institute on Diverse Philanthropy. Now, in this fifth edition of Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, Every single author was asked to include information and a component related to racial and social justice and reconciliation. When we think about this work, about identifying and qualifying potential donors, how can we do so to ensure that we're doing so in terms of crossing lines of distinction and having the broadest range of diversity in our donor database? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for asking that question. Um, there are several ways that you can go about doing that, really, as you're taking a look at your donor database and seeing who is actually missing, um, who doesn't technically have a seat at the table. Um, and sometimes people may ask, how do, where do I even begin to start? You know, where do I look? So being able to create a grid, even if you create a grid that consists of your top um, 20 to 30 major donors, your prospect donors that you have, take a look at their demographics, take a look at their gender, 
take a look at the age group too as well, um, their ethnicities, and then be able to take a look and see who is missing, who is missing from this specific grid, and then figure out ways at that point, how do I move forward to include specific, um, a very diversified donor database at this point. That allows you to then take a look at affinity groups within your local community to see about engaging those individuals that are already involved within your local communities as well, and figuring out at that point if there is linkage, if there's ability, and if there's interest between the two. But thoroughly doing a holistic view of your current donor database is something um, would be a great start for you to, to move forward with. Kathy Brown and LaCoya Gardner both are accomplished fundraisers. Kathy right now uh, leads training and technical assistance for nonprofit organizations on behalf of the Broward County Community Foundation in South Florida. LaCoya Gardner uh, is a leader in the Mays Family Institute on Diverse Philanthropy within the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, and both are faculty for the fundraising school. They've co-authored chapter 14, Identifying and Qualifying Potential Donors in Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition, which came out in early 2022. Now, the textbook is informing all of our coursework at the fundraising school, our in-person courses, which are available in more locations across the continental United States, and we're maintaining a robust presence online, both with recorded courses and live virtual courses. And of course, the online course is available anywhere across the world, as is our custom training, where we will tailor make courses specifically for your nonprofit, your association, your region, your country, whatever the case might be. We have quarterly webinars, and of course, these free podcasts, information about the textbook and the courses and other offerings from the fundraising school, all available online at philanthropy, dot iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. Our producers are Mike Anthony and Jennifer Boffman. I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the fundraising school. Mm -hmm.